Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you look over the course of music history, there are so many acts, too many to list that have been so astronomically popular that don't make any sense. Like if you were an executive, a CEO of a record label, and someone pitched to you some of these artists that I'm going to mention in today's show, that they are going to be huge stars and here's the concept. You laugh them out of the room and it happens all the time. And these acts often can be the ones that really break out to be something very, very special, which is something I've been thinking a lot about and I want to talk about today. Hello, it's Derek G. It's Derek G Speaks Volumes, music culture, analysis, overthinking, some facts, some fiction. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic that I would love at the outset to find out what, what artists you think make no sense being famous. That is the topic of the day. Artists who make no sense being successful but despite all the odds were. And I don't mean about because the the music was ahead of its time and it was like grunge before it was grunge and they weren't remembered. This is like, what? This, how did they succeed to the level <laughs> that they did? So I've got a handful of examples because I could speak for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and I've picked out some fun ones today. So how I'm gonna break it down is this. I'm gonna talk about the artist. I'm going to talk about why they don't make any sense. I'm going to talk about why they do make sense and why it. I think it probably resonated. I've got honorable mentions as well. I could do multiple episodes, but I'll keep it at that. And then some conclusions and some reflections about why potentially they succeeded. So let's go with the first one. Without further ado, the artist who does not make sense, the B-52s make no sense being successful. They're from Athens, Georgia. They were big in the 90s. Let's talk about some songs that you may know. Rock Lobster, (laughs) right? Love Shack. I do like Private Idaho. They've got some really, really interesting tracks, but let me paint a picture for you. And I'm going to pull stuff from whether it's research on Wikipedia or my own memory. This is a really great line that was used as a descriptor for the B-52s, a thrift shop aesthetic, weirdo new wave. If you know anything about them, they have this really like fluorescent, almost like, yeah, bargain bin type look where everyone's dressing in like, you almost look like half scar band, half clown, (laughs) part kids show. And they were singing Rock Lobster. They're singing Love Shack. But for some reason, it works. If you think about their style of music, some describe it as like positive new wave, which if you look at like Private Idaho and and tracks of that ilk, it makes sense that they are. But at the same time, it's like you have new wave, kind of more angular guitar driven stuff. You have saxophone, you have sort of rockabilly stuff. You've got 
60s soul elements to it. You have beehive hairdos. Now, I like telling, I like reading you this, which is part of their how they met, which is the B-52s formed in 1976 when Cindy Wilson, Ricky Wilson, her elder brother, Pearson Strickland, and a cowbell player, poet, and lead vocalist Schneider held an impromptu jam session after sharing a flaming volcano drink at a Chinese restaurant in Athens, Georgia. <laughs> Perfect. Who is a cowbell player? <laughs> I didn't know it could be a thing that you could be a cowbell player, but it makes so much sense to the B-52s. Now, along with their sound, which is a mash of new wave and 50s, 60s music in a sense, and this kind of bargain bin aesthetic. You have the lead singer, Fred Schneider, which I was writing down notes about. Talking rapping was how I wrote it. There's da 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 Turns out there's a name for it that we're going to learn today, which is Sprechgesang, which is speak singing, a German word, which is really what it is. He's not rapping. In a sense, there's a melody, there's a melodicness to it, but it's not singing either. And it's a really, really unusual delivery that I can't say has existed much in any pop music and is very unique to the B-52s. So unique and so bizarre that they aptly appeared in and made the theme song for the Flintstones live action film in 1996. You, you can you can imagine with the bones in their hair and in their noses and there's kind of speak singing and it kind of sounds primitive, but kind of sounds modern as well. Kind of sounds cool. They make no sense being popular, but ha- happen to make massive songs that I think every generation learns about Love Shack at some point. And when I was researching this, I listened to Love Shack and I was like, this song is incredible, which is not a, a breaking news, but it's almost like you'd think over time when I listen to it as a kid, when I listen to an adult, you go, mm, no, this is like, I remember this. I don't know if I, what age I was when it came out, but I do remember when I was younger and you listen to it now and you think, oh, yeah, no, it's age. It's still amazing. It's so unique. The guitar work in it is great. The The harmonies of Cindy Wilson and I don't know the other singers in there. And then the laughing and the dun dun dun. <laughs> it just works. So I guess this is the first one that doesn't make any sense. And now at least we've learned about Sprechgesang, right? Which is something that maybe I should do when I become a musician. I'm joking. But why does it make sense? Why does it make sense? There's two reasons. The key songs, as bizarre as Rock Lobster was, are really unique, fun, iconic, memorable songs that tends to just permeate every generation for being something that you can play at a kid's party and kids are like, yeah, you can play at a 50-year-old's party and people are like, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's something that kind of makes you smile. And I think that the insight that I've kind of gleaned from thinking about this a little is that I feel like it was almost in that like late 80s, early 90s, this lighter American side to New Wave, which is like New Wave in the UK very nihilistic, very dark, very serious, very cool. And here are some people going like they met over a jam session sharing a flaming volcano drink at a Chinese restaurant, you know? And I think that that works because I think in music, people 
can it can be all very serious and i don't i don't love novelty acts and songs and i don't think the b52s are novelty but they're not not either and i think that that only played in their favor when you just want to smile it's sort of like not quite but it's like gangnam style in a while in a way it's like it was so new and different and fun and catchy and addictive that it ends up connecting in a way that the B-52s made no sense, no had no business in the music industry succeeding. Here's my second entry for you. Ben Folds 5. Now, this one might be a bit more, I don't want to say obscure because they're definitely not, but they're not in the general conversation these days and made more of their mark in the UK and Australia than anywhere else. So I could be picking something that either you'll be like, huh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, or it could be like completely out of the blue but the ben folds five were from north carolina and they were a trio but they thought ben folds three doesn't sound good so why don't we call ourselves ben folds five that doesn't make any sense (laughs) but you know i always knew them as a trio and i didn't really question it either and so maybe upon first the first instance of interacting with them one might have been confused but then after that you just get used to it brick is a beautiful song, beautiful piano pop ballad that still holds up, I believe, and is very cinematic in a way. One Angry Dwarf and 200 Solar Faces of You. Also a great song. I feel like my sister listened to that album a lot, so it's kind of burned into my my memory, that song. But uh, why they don't make sense? Why does Ben Folds 5 make no sense and have no business being popular or famous? You had a really kind of raucous fuzz bass player in combination with a quite theatrical piano playing lead singer, which meant that they made this kind of like, it's it wasn't quite pop. It wasn't quite rock. It was kind of alternative rock, but it had this novel sense to it that was also a bit cheeky. You know, calling a song one angry dwarf and 200 solemn faces doesn't really make a whole lot of sense and i think that this insight is really interesting that when ben folds described how they really came about and how they came to succeed he says jeff buckley was signed at the time to columbia and i was talking to steve his a and r guy and somehow we knew the same people or something <laughs> that's kind of it was like oh you know, you know, George, I know George. Are you also know Sandra? So do I. Hey, yeah, I like you. You want to, what are you doing right now? Are you in a band? Yeah, I'm in a trio called a fivesome. I like it. <laughs> Let's do it. It's almost like the Ben Folds Five or a, an absurdist version of the Jeff Buckley or something like that. Takes takes guts. I think that how... The, the the A&R, the uh, artists and repertoire, you know, executives at um, major labels have to put your neck out, stick your neck out to be signing something like Ben Folds 5. It doesn't make sense because uh, a, a kind of balladeering, kind of absurd frontman piano playing alternative rock band singing ballads and pop songs is kind of cheesy. It's kind of lame and they're really nerdy as well. The guys weren't cool aesthetically in in any way i would say they were very goofy and uh, with their funny haircuts and the funny they're kind of you know i say goofy and I, 
they probably dressed in shirts like I'm wearing in this in this podcast, which is like a, a brown check shirt. And they they won and they, they weren't around for very long, but had huge, huge impactful singles. Now, why does it make sense? I think this one is, thing is really interesting. Ben Foles listened to a lot of Elton John and Billy Joel. And you combine the two, it makes so much sense. Both pianists, both pop artists, both with some very impressive ballads. And maybe Ben Foles was a remnant of that balladeering pop star that kind of doesn't exist anymore. Who are the piano playing uh, people of now? There was obviously Alicia Keys, but she's not really in that kind of cheesy theatrical sense. There is that guy that Jake that golden golden hour or whatever it's called kind of like cinematic pop style uh, also very like euphoric and not very silly but when i read that about elson john and billy joel it makes sense that an artist that wants to kind of have that theatrical nature to pop music could penetrate in some ways and i wouldn't be surprised if that person came along again looking down the barrel of a camera playing piano still very romantic even though uh, it doesn't look cool at all these days, Folds said that the music was punk rock for sissies, a reaction to the angst in 90s rock. And I think that we're defining a pattern now, right? Which is that some of these groups that seem to succeed is uh, the complete opposite to what's going on. And when you have grunge and you have... Radiohead and you have Nirvana and then you have Ben Folds 5 taken to the to the dais and or to, or to the, the ivories and bashing out a number of the piano. I think that there is some levity to this artist and the B-52s that seem like a, a welcome entry into the, the scene. They're also being uncool and awkward, I think, played into the character because I don't think there are many uncool acts that are genuinely uncool but embrace that i think that most people are trying to be cool and maybe some of them are not but these guys were like you know they kind of looks a bit like bank tellers but seem to to make it as well and i think that that resonated with a lot of people in the 90s that wanted to identify with something that wasn't as serious and as cool or as grungy as some of the music out there interrupting for a short 30 seconds to introduce you to the other sponsor which is my own patreon which has my weekly radio show i recently did a hip-hop special i recently i do it every week and i put it together music that you can discover new music discoveries to me and putting you on in it's in video form so you can see me hang out dj a little bit from the comfort of my office you also get mini-sodes that I talk about, questions that you might ask, and I also share exclusive playlists for you guys as well. So that helps me make more stuff for you, and you also get to enjoy some radio from me. That's the patreon.com forward slash G underscore Derek. Back to the episode. My third entry is Queen. Of course, Queen. Brian May and Freddie Mercury I forget the other two, but I do know their names. Queen, where do we even start? Let's start with their music. Another one by Sadas. We are the champions. Bohemian Rhapsody. We will rock you. Bicycle, unfortunately. They were described at the time as progressive rock, hard rock, and heavy metal, which is obviously quite funny nowadays. But for the time, I guess, yeah, heavy, heavy rock, hard rock does make sense when you consider like the lighter side of rock was they were not that. And 
they don't make, they had no business being famous. And I'm not saying that as in like, of course they made hits. So of course they had business being famous. But if you think about them as a microcosm of what they are as a concept, they were a glam version of Led Zeppelin. They were a pop version of Led Zeppelin where Led Zeppelin was all like, don't talk to us, take us seriously. We need to be respected for our art. The guys in Led Zeppelin, not Led Zeppelin, in Queen are coming out with stadium bangers, like absolute smash, smash hits. And I, I often wonder, because I don't love Queen's albums. I don't particularly love the songs I mentioned. I think everyone knows them and therefore can enjoy them, but I don't listen to We Are The Champions for fun. I, how much intention there was behind them making stadium songs like we will rock you. We are the champion. Did they know that like, were they planning to do stuff that was anthemic that just wanted to rock stadiums because no other band has made that many stadium songs. I feel like there had to be some intention there to be like, why else would you do? We are the champions. You know, when, when Drake did the, like, I forget the name of the song with the one called something rings. He was trying to make a song that was like, yeah, you listen to this when you celebrate when you've won an NBA championship ring. You know, you don't just do We Are The Champions as like a, a, a metaphor for like your relationship or something like that. They're trying to win in that regard. But anyway, they don't make sense because of that. They also don't make sense because of that rock meets opera combination, which went on to influence many, many artists like tropes of the, the unitards and operatic singing Justin Hawkins style people. No business like making much sense in in popular music that you have these like glam, pop, Led Zeppelin, operatic, Baroque style artists that kind of had these rhapsodies, a bohemian rhapsody that that song itself is so long and so all over the place and so absurd again absurdity seems to be coming up a lot and and, and succeeding and i don't see or hear many people talking about their albums being anything of any particular regard of note that people want to hold up as as the high watermark of music i think they succeeded with their pure skill i think that's a good transition to why they made sense they had incredible musicians. Freddie Mercury's voice and range is insane. And his charisma is one of the greatest, you know, charismatic front people of all time. I was going to say arguably, I think no one would really argue that he's not that, that concert at Wembley Stadium that I remember watching a lot when I was younger. Uh, incredible just the power of his voice the live vocals and Brian May on guitar and and I and and I I love Brian May's guitar tone his solos he plays a a Vox AC30 he's got a handmade guitar that he made out of a fireplace with his father there's some sort of mythology to it they also were in many ways aggressively commercial to the point where they knew exactly what market they were going for and and really succeeded at that and I think that despite the absurdity, that doesn't make any sense. I don't think people were into Queen because they were absurd. They also broke a lot of ground. And I thought, I think being called Queen and having a uh, gay front man, as, as was very apparent in the later years, 
also was very progressive and very exciting. But I think that ultimately people weren't listening to it going, this is a bit silly and we're poking fun of it or like it's levity because the, the, the songs that they made were very impactful in a different way. But if you think the combination of what they were and how they presented themselves, so excessive, but that no wasn't excessive in the kind of like glam, motley crew, drug abusing, rock and rolling type way. They were like, we are opera. <laughs> but that made that kind of uh, scale in which they presented themselves really resonated in a stadium setting, which uh, props to Queen. You don't make sense, but you make perfect sense. The next entry I have for you is Steely Dan from New York. Steely Dan, what can I say? Is I, I like Steely Dan. I think that their, their fan base is quite toxic, but in certain ways. But reeling in the years, do it again. Asia, Asia. Uh, really, really complex, great pop songs they've sold 40 million albums i wouldn't say that they're like main mainstream i think that if you are anyone that cares a little bit deeper than the surface level of music then you get to steely dan and why they don't make sense they are a duo steely dan are a duo but you know fairly quickly into their careers they retired from performing live and they decided we are going to be a studio band comprising of the two of us and then a revolving cast of session musicians, the highest level of session musicians. And we are combining pop, Latin, jazz, R&B, blues. We're going to write lyrics that just sound absurd. They don't, they don't sound good. They don't sound, they're not like memorable or particularly, uh, uh, iconic or particularly poetic and then you've we because they became this session studio session band with a revolving cast it also meant that their their kind of studio quality gets thrust into this place of audiophilia where like still to this day you'll have 17 year olds saying oh asia is the best album of all time or like best recorded album of all time because it's like was so meticulously recorded and is beautiful sounding, um, but also was a bit like of an absurdist, like contemporary rock trope in a sense, because I don't know, a lot of things are recorded well and uh, it's kind of almost being thrust further up the chain of, of great albums because of that. They don't make sense because they're not like it, it to kind of retire to be in the studio only and to kind of be a duo that's also a band that also, if you look at the chart on Wikipedia of all the people that kind of revolved through the band, there's so many people and kind of, it's almost like you are a concept group rather than you are a real group. And usually the general rule is that live performance is where you make fans. Live performance is where you really resonate on a large scale. And they went, no, we don't. We're just going to, make the best music and best sounding music possible. It's also quite complex, their music. And um, sure, it's very poppy. Sometimes it can be a bit grating in terms of uh, the con adult contemporary sound that it is. But I think that like I've I've seen heard songs that's like multiple tempo changes, key changes, just, you know, trying to do the most in terms of like musical excellence and it's kind of academic in a way. 
Why it works is because they don't sound like anyone else. No one sounds like Steely Dan. Uh, there is a kind of specificity to that kind of jazz pop R&B thing that they were doing that meant that they stand alone and arguably still stand alone. There's a lot of bad ripoffs for sure, but there's only one Steely Dan. I think that the songs themselves, the songs that I like, like Kid Charlemagne and and some of their deeper cuts are incredible songs that if you if you yeah get deep into music and you listen to the albums, you will find some that are just like will completely blow your mind. And I think that the complexity of their persona, sound, look is something to kind of challenge you in many ways. And I think that a lot of people enjoy that challenge. And then musicians like to try to learn how to play those songs and re realize how hard it is to mimic, replicate the sound of Steely Dan. So congratulations, Steely Dan. You don't make any sense. I'm going to go with two more before we kind of round out. The Spice Girls don't make any sense. This was suggested by my friend Tom and we'd had a little chat about it. And you might be like, of course they make sense, but I will tell you why they don't. The Spice Girls don't make any sense being a successful. So look, songs first, Wannabe, Spice Up Your Life, Viva Forever. I was singing that the other day, it just popped into my head. Good song that. Why they don't make sense. The Spice Girls are the biggest girl group of all time beating out the statistics surrounding the Supremes, TLC, Destiny's Child. 105 million people have bought their records. Insane. They are the most successful British group since the Beatles. I think I might add this. Essentially, they lasted for a couple of years out in public. They ended in 1998 when Jerry Halliwell left although their official hiatus was in the year 2000, but their first album came out in 1996. Think about that. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> because you beat out all those other acts and you were essentially active for two years. This is what my friend Tom said is the first thing. Outside of Mel C, none of them are really singers. They can't really sing. They're not strong singers. True. You had the rapping of Mel B., and Jerry Halliwell, they were manufactured. I can't remember the name of the, the company, Heart Media or something like that. And then Simon Fuller, the manager, manufacturing a group, debuting, two-year run, biggest girl group of all time, most successful group since the Beatles, excuse me. <laughs> the debut album in 1996, debut, remember that, sold 23 million copies. Second album sold 14 million. Absolutely bonkers. They made a film, a feature film. Remember, in this two year stint, Spice World, they had a film. This is like Beatlesque. Who what 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 artists make films? Especially in two years, to be like, yeah, we gotta we gotta make some some fictional world film that everyone's gonna buy tickets to. They won on a world tour, which is said to have had 2.1 million people in attendance around the world. The highest grossing girl group tour ever. Now, I'm not discounting all the things that were great about them, but just all of that achievement, 2.1 million people in attendance for their tour, all the records, 23 million albums sold from their debut, two years, right? 
insane that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, especially to have such a meteoric rise. You know, I can't remember any groups that have had that much impact. Like, look, you can look at like, say, who I've talked about a bit, New Jeans. They've been around now for 18 months. They couldn't sell out like a world tour of 2.1 million people. They're not making a film yet. They are not selling 23 million copies of their albums. I know it's different now, but they're definitely on their way, but it's not it's not at that level yet. Now, why it makes sense. They captured something in the mid-90s. It's like dance pop. They had really clearly defined characters that were really intriguing. Posh, baby, ginger, uh, scary and sporty. Sporty? What? Uh, clear characters in that same K-pop way. If anyone is disparaging over K-pop, just remember you have people called freaking Sporty Spice. It's pretty weak in terms of a concept, but, you know, hey, I got active wear on. Uh, clearly defined characters. Clearly defined movement. Girl power. It's really nice, really simple. You can't do it again. It can't really have the same girl power approach because the biggest girl group of all time has done it. And their first single was a celebration of friendship over relationships. You got to get with my friends. You know, you got to get down with them. You got to, you, you know, I don't care about you if you don't care about my friends. It was really, I, I was young you know, when, when it came out. But I remember it it impacted all of the young girls in my school because it was like happy, fun-loving friendships, you know, where girls and we're strong. And I think it was about time a message like that existed and it hadn't existed. It was this kind of like, you know, Jerry Halliwell and the Union Jack dress. It was all very like iconic. You could kind of embody every one of your characters. And I think that the first single straight out the gates really resonated. I remember that music video. I still do. And there's very rarely these kind of people that kind of run away with things with the first single being the everything. And there's something I want to get into in a second, which I'll get into after I talk about this next one, which is Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran makes no sense being successful. Another British, lots of British acts, actually. Maybe just Britain doesn't make much sense, but... The A-Team, Shape of You. Do I need to list out? I barely know the Ed Sheeran songs, to be honest. I know I know those ones. <laughs> I kind of know what they kind of sound like, uh, but I don't know his discography too much, my bad. But why doesn't he make sense? A busker, a very unassuming image busker with very simple music, a man and a guitar. It's not even a full body guitar. It's like a little baby guitar, not a ukulele, but it's like, I can't remember the name from it, but the, a smaller bodied guitar he, I'm kind of zooming over it, it doesn't make sense, but we kind of should lean on that for a second. He's essentially a guy with a loop pedal and that's his thing. You know, Ed Sheeran uh, is basically doing what he's always been doing as a busker. He he popularized the loop pedal in ways that uh, I wish he hadn't, but he he's done a very good job of it. And unassuming image, I don't think looks are everything because I, I think that a lot, there's been a lot of ugly pop stars, but he's not ugly, but it's just like, he doesn't look like a pop star. You know, even, even the weekend has a look and a presentation and a character that's like, Oh, he looks like a pop star. I feel like everyone feels like they could be friends with Ed Sheeran. He feels like someone, you know, he feels like he could, he could just turn up to your local 
convenience store and you'd be like, hey, Ed. And he'd be like, hey, even though he's very, very, very wealthy, more wealthy than most people would ever know, a person like that, he has still has this like very relatable image. Also, he doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he has huge songs, but like I wouldn't say he's very critically acclaimed in any way. It's not like, yeah, the pinnacle of music is Ed Sheeran or like the best music of the 2000s is Ed Sheeran. Uh, he makes very radio-friendly songs and has succeeded for the simplicity of it. It makes sense. Don't get me wrong. I think that why he does make sense because he makes very simple, very powerful pop music that is uh, relatable, inoffensive, very easy to consume. But you, you do think about like the kind of package that he is basically like he's filling out a stadium and essentially him and a loop pedal and a guitar and a little like travelator that he circles the stadium type thing. It's, it's a really weird proposition that, again, would you think that he would be bigger than Justin Bieber when Justin Bieber was popping off with Baby and it's like, oh, he's going to be the next Michael Jackson or whatever? No, of course not. You'd be like, Justin Bieber will win everyone. But I think that that speaks to the kind of like poise of Ed Sheeran as well to be able to handle the uh, the superstardom that he has. I think that, that what I was talking about with the Spice Girls that I wanted to bring up here is that the people that seem to have astronomical success, astronomic success, straight out the gates is rare. And where these people come from, why these people seem to have this kind of crazy traction is because they have their debut song is one that hits the mainstream immediately where usually debut songs for any artists, they start small. Certain people listen to it. They don't get played on radio. They gig. People spread the word. They get some followings. They release an EP. Maybe people like that more. Those core fans spread that to more people etc etc until maybe they have a radio friendly song and people are like okay you've earned your stripes congratulations we like you we support you and you've got fans ed sheeran was releasing music don't get me wrong but then his debut single technically was the a-team which is one still one of his biggest songs of all time and i think what the experience of the spice girls as ed sheeran is that the mainstream radio family you know people listening tradespeople, mums in cars, dads in cars can be along with the journey of Ed Sheeran from the very beginning, from when he was already famous. So you feel like you're getting to know the guy as he's already mainstream, which doesn't happen. So usually you kind of cotton on to people quite late, but these this guy, you were able to really go along for the ride and Every time there's no, he has no business. His first album, his second album, selling as many million copies as it did, being a solo singer-songwriter. But because people were so excited by him and the freshness of his mainstream pop sound, that he was able to penetrate and succeed immediately, which is incredible. Some honorable mentions. I wanted to get into more of these, but it'll, I'd be researching forever and not put the episode out. Marshmallow. EDM DJ, he has a freaking helmet that looks like a marshmallow. He called himself Marshmallow. Makes no sense. Bloodhound Gang, absurdist uh, group of comedy, pop, hip-hop, rock. 
wearing dog suits sometimes. Doesn't make any sense. Sublime, this kind of weird pop reggae, you know, faux, you know, uh, came out of nowhere, absurd pop band. Funkadelic was recommended on my threads when I asked the question. I know they weren't main mainstream, but it's like we're from outer space where there's like in a interplanetary funk band where everyone is a bit like from another planet and uh people just like yeah i mean i'm into this it makes sense but here are my conclusions what i've learned from this and the kind of observation that i have around this is that humor has a lot to do with these artists not making sense and humor is a lot of the reason why these artists succeed that there is a lightness and Spice Girls wasn't humor, but I would put it in the bucket of that kind of lightness and levity that the world is missing and wants some sort of messaging from a global group uh, or artist that was missing from the uh, the fabric of music before Lizzo has had her moment. Jury is still out. You know, Lizzo is that kind of like positive, happy kind of energy that probably people want in pop music and don't always get and you need that kind of like silver bullet or like arrow to pierce through to be like i just want to have fun i want to be happy i want to listen to something that i can sing along with and not care too much about and not take it too seriously i think a lot of these bands are succeeding because of that like i said i think that the rare occurrence of having a smash hit with your first single means that everyone is almost has ownership of you from the beginning and you have mass support from the mainstream immediately which is very 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 rare and i think you can have one hit wonders but then they don't really release anything good after that and like the fo that follow-up is totally on the artists such as spice girls or ed sheeran that they were able to follow up with more better hits than the ones that they broke out of and ultimately songwriting wins right because we will rock you still lasts love shack still lasts i think it, it can't be understated that they might be absurd but they have had songs that multiple generations can enjoy and just so happens to be that they had the backing of major labels that can then therefore supersize it to the world and really capitalize on that success so there you go those are some artists that don't make any sense existing and succeeding in this world but they do and they are aliens and i welcome them for that and I, I look forward to whatever the new version of that is i i would like to know who that would be like is lil nas x that now kind of in a sense when you look at old town road but anyway would love to know your thoughts now as an appendix it's been my life has been pretty crazy lately i've, I've had like events planned and in the making radio shows newsletters film clubs and um, it's a little overwhelming, but I'm a consistent man who's trying his best to uh, do it all at once. And I think it's all heading in the right direction. And outside of that, it's really boring shop talk. So I don't really want to like bore you with that too much, despite, you know, but saying that uh, it's been a lot, but I think that it's been very enjoyable as well. And kind of making this my life has been a really fun thing, thanks to the supporters of yourself, the listeners or the Patreon or other platforms and such. So really, very, very grateful for that. But that has been Derek G Speaks Volumes. Please leave your comments below. I would love to hear your thoughts about who you think don't have any business being successful, but have. And this has been the episode. Thank you so much for listening. See you.